Grab your fat cat suits and your cigars because today we are talking about business entities and taxes because there is nothing scarier for our Halloween episode than taxes. Now, before we begin, let me make it perfectly clear that neither Lucy nor myself are CPAs. We are not licensed professionals. We're simply going over what has worked for us and our experiences, and we highly suggest that you talk to a tax professional before setting up your writing business and tax status. Well, let me just say that I don't think that anyone is going to confuse me for a tax professional, especially after this episode when I ask you the questions about everything that you've learned from this, because everything that I know about this, I have learned from you. And it's been a lot of trial and error on my part, too. So if I can give yeah. anybody questions, I guess the best thing they should take is like questions. Right. And then mm -hmm. they can sit down with this. Yeah, because it is it's tricky and I've made a lot of mistakes and I've learned a lot. So, um, so we, we do want to talk about this because I think like the major crux of this episode is that is is to actually treat your writing like a business. And that we, you know, because so many of us get into it is like, you know, hobbyists and just wanting to, you know, oh, I have this story, like, I should get it published and and not thinking of yourself as starting starting out a business. You don't think of yourself as an entrepreneur when you start out as a horror writer, but you that's kind of the, what we want to get at in this one is you need to shift your thinking with that. And you kind of are an entrepreneur. Your product is just books and short stories. So I guess because we are going to consider ourselves business owners is, is there a certain threshold of money that you have to make from your writing to be considered a business owner? Uh, no, there is not a business threshold. Um, the minute you sold your first short story, even if it was that token payment of $5, as long as it wasn't just exposure, um, you were considered a sole proprietor at that point. You made a product, like you said, it was your book or your short story. You sold it. You became a business owner. At that point, the government considered you a sole proprietor, even if you didn't claim any business expenses for it, even if you didn't pay any taxes on the story or report anything, you were considered a sole proprietor. All right. So is there, so let's say you've only made like, you know, $5 off of it or whatever. Um, and it just seems like, you know, a government, the government isn't going to come after you to pay taxes on $5. That's well below the threshold. Even, even I know that. Right. <laughs> so what would be the benefits? Like why, even if you're not making that much money year after, like every year, mm. why, what would be a benefit of you you know, actually declaring yourself as a business, uh, because as you're saying, like a sole proprietorship is actually a business entity. Right. Um, so me, I, I haven't, I've done the sole proprietor. I didn't care for it as much. I ended up going the LLC route and I can, I can tell everyone exactly why I like the LLC route. Um, but I think that, like you said, shifting your mindset and getting yourself positioned now for that payoff later, because even if you're only starting off with a very few short stories and you're making a couple hundred dollars and you're below all these thresholds, it's not really changing your taxable income all that much. There's still tax benefits that you could be taking advantage of right now. Um, and when I say taking advantage of them, I don't want people to think that this is some kind of shady businessman or businesswoman. Oh, I'm cheating the government. I'm not paying my fair share. It's, it's not about that at all. The government actually wants you to use these laws um, to help make your business a success. And so even if you're not a huge corporation like Coca-Cola, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to get some of these tax write-offs and business expenses. So 
when you're sitting down and you're buying, maybe you have editing software and writing software, or you've been in one anthology and you know what, you want to start picking up copies of it and selling it at a convention, your convention, your travel, your stay at the hotel, all these things can be business expenses, even if they're far outweighing what you're making. So there's no reason not to set it up now and then your position for the future when this thing starts to thrive um, and you start to maybe supplement or replace your daily salary or your um, day job salary. So that uh, you, one thing that you brought up there, like that, that all makes, that all makes total, total sense to me. Um, getting yourself set up for the future when you might like, so you don't get, so you don't get in trouble later when you mm-hmm. do, when you are making enough money to have to, you know, pay taxes on it. So you mentioned at the beginning of that, that you, um, started out as a sole proprietorship, you didn't really care for it, and you switched to an LLC. So can you tell us like what the difference is between those and and why an author would choose one over the other? Yeah. Um, again, I think you should definitely sit down with someone and go over what your goals are. For me at the time when I was a sole proprietor, um, the money that the company was making, I wasn't making very much in my day job, and it bumped me up into another bracket, which it was kind of silly at the time. I don't think a lot of people are going to fall into that. But the big reason that I went with the LLC was for the um, the limited liability part. And that's what it stands for, limited liability company. Um, and so I guess that's really the first big thing. It separates you. So you have your personal entity and then you have your business entity and they become two separate things. Um, and that shields you from each other. So that was the first thing that I really liked. The second thing is if you set up an LLC, you could call it, doesn't have to be Lucy Littner LLC, it could simply be Twin Peaks Publishing. So if you are going to start doing your own self-publishing, now suddenly you have a nice title that you can use and it's not your same name. Um, The third thing for it, it passes through. So this business entity over here, all the, the loss or the profit, it passes through. And so for me, it decreased my taxable income over here. And that was a big um, desire that I had. The the fourth reason that I like the LLC is that I actually invest in it and I can pay myself back as an investment and rather than getting a paycheck from it. And that's the way that I choose to pay myself back. So those are the reasons. Yeah. And, and so paying yourself back as an, as it's an investment, like what's what's the benefits of that as opposed to a paycheck? Um, so a paycheck, again, I would sit down with somebody, but mm-hmm. every time you get your paycheck from your day job, you probably have to pay maybe it's like 39% taxes as an employee. If you have investments in a company or you receive dividends from stocks or you sell an asset, all that is usually is like long-term gains or interest, those are taxed at different rates that are extremely lower than what you would get from a paycheck. And so that happens to be when we get to that portion of the episode, I'll tell you exactly Mm -hmm. how I set up a promissory note and how I charge off the interest that I earn on it when I pay myself back from the business. Got it. Okay. That makes it, yeah. It'll make more sense when we get sense. there. Yeah. It's I guess it can to me yeah. with my mental block about money. But um, so you're setting up an LLC. Mm-hmm. Like that to me feels like you're setting up a real business. I mean, there are some pretty significant business entities that operate as LLCs. So do you have to pay someone to set this up or can you do it yourself? Um, you can do it yourself. You don't have to. I have four different LLCs and I will be honest that I did pay someone to set up two of them. But they're multi-member um, LLC. So it's me with another group of people. 
And so on that one, we all had different amount of startup costs, different capital that we could contribute. If this is your sole, you know, you can have a single member LLC. You don't really need anyone to set that up for you. Here in Arizona, I go to the Arizona Corporate Commission. You do an entity search, type in the name that you want to, uh, sorry, to have for your LLC. And if nobody else has it, you can start moving forward. And honestly, the paperwork here is super simple. It's almost like a click through and it's going to ask you a lot of questions. I have a feeling that almost every state is going to be extremely similar. It'll be a very simple thing on a corporate commission website and you'll click through. The only thing that can be kind of tricky at all, I would say, is the articles of organization. And that just organizes how your LLC is going to be run. But since it's just a single person, you, you could just take the default setting. You don't have to talk about what you and your partners are going to do and how much everyone is going to make and the percentages. Because again, it's you alone. Um, when you finish filling out all of the paperwork, though, at the end, there is going to be a cost. It could be anywhere from like $40 to maybe a couple hundred. And it really depends on the state. Some states have very high um, costs for it, and some are extremely low. I think mine was about $50 when I set mine up. Um, oh, two tips that I want to go over when you're doing these and you're setting these up. It's going to ask you for a mailing address please get yourself a mailing service address. You could have a PO box and I've done that before, but you'll be surprised at how many government agencies and financial institutions will not accept a PO box as your mailing address. Um, mm. And you really don't want to have, we love great fans, but there's always an Annie Wilkes out there or mm. a male version of an Annie mm. Wilkes. You don't want your public um, you know, address out there for everyone because this will be in the public domain. Um, so what about... What about if it's a sole proprietorship? Do you have to worry about that in that case? Um, yeah, yeah, well, you do, because I would still set something up because it's still going to ask for you. All your information would be you. Um, now, of course, I can't say on the matter because I never filed and did all this stuff for sole proprietorship. So I'm not 100%. I know it more for the LLC. But I would still okay. go ahead because... Also, think about it like this. If you start signing books and shipping them out, you have to put a return address on everything. Do you really want it to be your home address? I just mm -hmm. think it's not the best idea. So just as a default, I say get yourself a PO box or go ahead and get yourself a mailing service for sure. I just have a real quick question about the LLC as well, because this is going back to one thing that you mentioned before about keeping your your you and your um like and your business separate is there anything and that's for legal reasons and i totally get why like a business would do that they sell a faulty product or something yeah. that hurts someone and then you can't be personally sued you can only go after the money in the business you can't take you know their home yes. or anything like that is there anything that an author would have to worry about in that regard i was i was thinking about that too because when, when we we're talking about this that's exactly why I, I set them up because if anything happens to me over here um I got in trouble, you get sued over here as your person. They can't take any of my writing assets. Um, and so it. I guess it would be more helpful for that. Looking at mm -hmm. it as the vice versa, yeah, what would you really have to do as an author for someone to want to go after everything? I mean, I guess we're talking something copyright infringements, something like that. You're probably going to lose your case then, but at least they can't go after your house now. So they can only get what you're... We're just going to keep calling it Twin Peaks Publishing. Uh, sorry if there's a company out there called that, but Twin Peaks Publishing can only have their assets taken. It would never come back to you or anything in that regard. 
So that's, okay. you're, but you're absolutely right. That's why we kept keep it separate. I learned about this because I also work in real estate and I found out that just about everybody who has rental homes, each rental home is in its own LLC and none of them mm-hmm. are connected so that if one of them mm-hmm. gets in trouble, all of them don't go under. And so I think it's been that mindset that it's like, oh yeah, keep it separate, keep it separate. Um, and mm-hmm. so I've always just gone by that because I've seen my mentors doing it. Got it. Yeah, that that makes that makes total sense. Um, so, like, so speaking of that, like, you know, kind of about when you're talking about like liability, mm-hmm. what happens if you if you lose money? Like, let's say an author is self-published and they put a lot of money into it. They put a lot of money into what we talked about in the first episode, at least $600 to get like, to get their really professional book, get it listed on Amazon and, and everywhere else, all that. And then let's say they do some advertising. Let's say they buy, let's say they buy a whole bunch of Amazon ads. Let's say they buy Facebook ads and the but they don't make up what they put in. Um, what can they can they write that off? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So at the at the end, um, your company is going to still file taxes to the IRS. But if there's a loss, it's going to be called something called pass through. So the loss that your business incurs, let's say at the end of the day, you lost two thousand dollars doing all this stuff. Um, it passes through, and that's that. Um, taxable income that I was talking about, Laurie. So let's just say you make 40,000 a year. That's what your taxable income would be. That $2,000 that you lost is going to pass through to you. Your taxable income is now 38,000. By the same token, if you make money though, that is going to pass through to you. So if you have an amazingly great year and you make $10,000, well, that passes through and suddenly you don't have a taxable income of 40,000 anymore. You now have a taxable income of 50,000, which is why a lot of people will sit down at the end of the year and try to plan out next year's expenses. So if you know that you have a surplus, and this is something that I do, but again, you want to think about what your goals are. I never have a profit passed over through back to me. I always reinvest it back in. So I take a look at what conventions are coming up, what I need to buy for the future in like November and December. And if we have money, you could buy your plane tickets now. You could buy your convention tables because you planned out, you knew exactly where you're going to be next year. And suddenly you now have a loss And again, this isn't don't be shady, don't buy stuff frivolously. I'm not talking like a government budget where you got to spend it just because you get it again next year. But this Mm -hmm. is something that will increase your business. And so for me to always put back and reinvest has been the most important thing to me to keep growing it and growing it and growing it each year. And as long as you have the money to do that, I say do it. Um, how do you do that? Like, how would you do you do another promissory note or do you just like leave it in your business checking account? Um, so you I, I always do a promissory note to myself. Now might be a good time to go over how I do that because it is kind of super mm-hmm. weird. Um, actually, mm-hmm. can I rewind us just a little bit and talk about an EIN number? Um, yeah. Because the way I always um, fund this LLC is through a, a separate bank account, a totally separate bank account. So to do that, once you've set up your LLC, you're not going to go get something called an employee identification number. It's an EIN number. Um, it basically serves as your social security number. So if you were a sole proprietor and you were doing this, you would use your social security number when you do taxes. This EIN number is going to um, uh, take the place of that. 
Also, they're 100% free on the IRS's website. Please, please do not pay somebody to do this for you. There are, I call them scammers. It's still totally legal. Um, I want to say that other, I know people who have done this, but I screwed up the first time. They make a website that looks very, very much like the IRS website because I was being lazy. I just kind of did a quick Google search, hit the first thing. It looked like I was at the IRS. I plugged in all my information and then it said I had to pay $247. I'm like, this is so weird. I figured, you know, everybody's hurting. The government changed things. I guess I have to pay for my EIN numbers now. Nope, this person just took my information. It was acting kind of like a lawyer. Goes to the IRS website, puts it in for you, gets the EIN number, hands it to you, and you just pay them $247 for something that was totally free. So please avoid that. Uh, uh, once you get your EIN number, you go to whatever bank you want to, and open a business bank account. Um, have it separate. Even if you decide to be a sole proprietor and you look at everything and that's still the best route for you to go, still set up a complete different bank account. Don't commingle funds. Um, and then to put money into this account, like you said, I write myself a promissory note. And honestly, it's the weirdest thing. Um, maybe I can put a link to a template in the description below. But I basically say... SC Mendez loans Twin Peaks Publishing, who we know I own, $2,000. And then the next part of the note is you have to set up a repayment plan. So I decided I would pay myself back over the course of five years, and I would pay myself 7% interest, which is really good. Um, and I have faith that my company is not going to go over. I'm not going to default. So that's what I did. So that, as we get to paying myself back, that's one of the ways. So whatever you decide your startup costs are going to be or what you need for the year, write yourself this promissory note. Um, don't get crazy with the terms. I mean, you can set up as many terms as you want, really. But I have a feeling my accountant said if you go over 10%, there's going to start being questions like, why are you paying yourself back 10% interest? That's pretty impressive, right? So again, there are some guidelines, but if you need more money, just write yourself another promissory note. There's not really an issue and you can continue to fund your bank account that way. Okay. So is that the same? So you would, so how do you do that? Like the promissory note, do you like, do you take this to your bank? Oh say, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. You don't have to do that at all. It really is oh. something you just do at your house. Um, the oh. template. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of the templates are going to have a place for a witness. It's just you signing against you. So I mean, it, you're both the borrower, even though in the eyes of the law, you're completely separate. You're the loaner and the borrower. And so I literally had, you know, like a friend there and he just signed the document. I signed the document and I have it. I just keep it in a folder. You don't ever need to even take it to the bank. It's just, oh. yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It's totally just like a record to have. So sorry, you want to have all these things on record in case of. So down the road, mm -hmm. if something happens and people are like, oh, well, where did this money come from? Why are you paying yourself back? Because now you you started making a ton of money and your account's like, oh, you're writing yourself this interest. Let's just see the paper trail. All it is is another paper trail. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, for the bank, though, yes, I happen to use the same bank for my personal banking as my LLC. I do literally just transfer the money over. Um, it's there. And now I have the promissory note as the document that shows it matches up. And as things are repaid back to me, I actually use um, where it's like a bill pay service. So I just have it automatically set up that my LLC 
pays me back. It just pays to SC Mendez back the loan. And I take the check and I do the remote deposit. So it's a lot of paperwork, but mm -hmm. it looks a lot better than if I just moved money over without any record. So when I pay okay. myself back, I should make that point too one more time. I literally get a check in the mail to myself from my company. And then I sign that, direct deposit it in, and that's how I take care of everything. And I keep all of those checks and all the records. So if there's any question, I have all of it. So what's a, what's the bill pay service? Um, so that's just something that my bank uh, has, Desert Financial. Oh. You can just type okay. in um, like companies or people and it sends the checks for you rather than having like a checkbook. Um, because I okay. guess it, and it does it. It does it automatically. So like you set up your terms and then you're like, okay, well this, this year after five, after five years of this, and here's my 7% interest on the initial investment, this is what I get every month. Yeah, that's, that's basically it. Exactly it. So, um, every month four checks come in the mail for me for my four different LLCs that I've funded. And mm -hmm. I, yeah, I have it set up like you would almost any direct deposit kind of thing. And then I just have it set to manually end you know, when I want it to. And at the end of the five years, I'll just turn it off. And that's it. So yeah, oh. every month, I just pay myself back on monthly terms. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's so so this doesn't like now that I'm thinking about it, like I thought like the promissory note was something that you'd have to there was something a lot bigger than just like your records. So this makes total sense to me. So basically the steps that we've gone through is you first want to figure out if you're going to be an LLC or a sole proprietorship. Um, once you figure that out, well, regardless of the decision you make, you have to figure out some sort of address for your business to be using as a return address if you're going to be sending out signed books and to have it be like publicly listed anywhere. So you'll have to figure that out. And then if you're going to go with an LLC, you've got to get your EIN number, which you should not be paying for. And then <laughs> that's key. And and then you should be setting up a business checking account, preferably with your own bank. So it's easier to move funds back and forth. Um, and then you're going to want to fund your business, fund your business through your business checking account. And you're by just, you will put your money in your account, but you also write yourself a promissory note that um, like, puts out the terms of the loan that you're going to make to yourself, including an interest rate and a term for the loan. And after that, you're going to be using your business account for expenses and you're going to keep for expenses related to your business and make them relevant expenses to your business. Yes. Make sure that, yes, make sure that you're not doing anything crazy that you don't <laughs> actually need. <laughs> and um, so that brings us really to, you know, that last part is taxes is what happens at tax season because you don't want to be, you know, making frivolous purchases and saying you have all these expenses and, uh, and to try to write that off, but you're just like paying for, you know, a night out or furnishing your house. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so sorry, keep going. Oh yeah. No, I was just going to ask like at tax time, like, do you like, is this something that someone can probably figure out how to just do themselves? Or is this like the time when people, if they have just like, might have a regular nine to five job, they get paid, they get taxes, get withheld, should, used to be super easy. Then all of a sudden you throw this in and they're, and, and everything goes haywire. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely could get confusing. I keep really great records. So again, just to re reiterate, 
don't mingle anything. Keep all of your records, even if it's just got to be a spreadsheet. Um, you know, I know some people use money or Quicken Books, stuff like that. You can use all those, but take that spreadsheet at the end. Me personally, I go to a CPA because I know that there's so many things out there that I, I know enough to know that I don't know what they could find. And that's really why I like working with somebody. Excuse me. So you mentioned not doing crazy things. Well, if you go to a convention, technically all of your food is something you had to do. You are only eating out because you're at a convention. I think food is something like you get to claim 50% of it. You can't claim 100% of it. If you work at home, there's certain things about the square footage of your office, you know, you can write off some of the utilities. So someone might be able to do that much easier for you than you could do it for yourself unless you're aware of this stuff. So I would pay a CPA to do it. I love doing mm -hmm. that. When I looked at it um, for my 2009 taxes, uh, I originally did it through TurboTax. And TurboTax, the business edition for IRS for federal, I think was $170 at the time. When I went to my accountant, they got me, they saved me an extra $1,000 they found for me. It was a little over $1,000. Plus, she only cost $275. So for me, it was an absolute no-brainer. I paid a little extra money, and I got a whole lot of benefit out of it. And I think as this becomes more and more of your business, that's the route you want to go. Because they are going to be the people who can find, again, not the loopholes, but the laws that are there to help you. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you're really not sure. So that's what I would do. I definitely recommend sitting down with someone, have them help you with it pay them for their services. Um, and as long as it's not astronomical and you're seeing a benefit, it's fantastic. Plus, guess what? The $270 that I paid her, that's a business expense for next year. So it gets written off again. So mm -hmm. I recommend hiring somebody. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I've, I've been self-employed for three years mm -hmm. now and have needed to go to a tax professional at H&R Block. And I could say that tax, getting my taxes done is about $400 okay. here, but it is, it is completely worth it. Okay. Yeah. Arizona does have a very low cost of living right now compared to you're mm -hmm. on the East coast. So I, I do realize when I throw out some of these numbers, like, Oh, it cost me $50 to start my LLC. Someone's like, that's baloney. You're right. It is going to, you know, change with the state you're in, but you think at 400, it's still completely worth it? Oh, I think so. Just because like, I, I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought about these things. There were just so many things that were going into it. Like, you know, when you're self-employed, you have to buy your own health insurance mm -hmm. and you can write some of that off. And then there was things like for a while I was repaying student loans from grad school. So like, and then there's just, and then I, it was honestly, it was the, um, I had done an art show back in 2019 mm -hmm. uh, where I had sold paintings and I had expenses from that show because I had to get like, I had to get lighting. I had to get all this stuff to like, I made stuff as prints. And it was yeah. honestly, it was the guy from H&R Block who was like, that's a business. You need to be recording these expenses. Like you, you're, if you're selling art, you can write off your paints that you make yeah. and that you use to make your art. So that was where it first got in my head. So like, and I've, I've started me help me out with, you know, just materials like notebooks and things to be able to try to keep better records and keep track of, keep track of things. So I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a much better idea than, than trying to like save a little bit when you don't really know what you're doing. Absolutely. Totally agree. 
Um, yeah, so this is cool. This is really helpful. I mean, I there's a lot of the stuff that before you mentioned this to me a couple months ago when we were talking about it, you know, offline, I had never considered. Did not think of this stuff. Did not think of myself as a business owner at all from from writing. Um, because on because I think it was also because of you know working with a small press publisher. I was like, well, that's the business. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. Doing, I'm like an employee getting paid, but now with you know if so it, it's just it's just really interesting with all the different things that we've discussed with you know how much authors are needing to put in, even if they are published by a small press, like, you know, things like booking their travel to conventions and things like that. Like, it, I think it's it's really important. And it's just something like everyone's got to, I guess, like, probably for most people reframe their way of thinking about it and think of themselves not just as a writer, but almost as like an entrepreneur also. Absolutely. That's the whole thing. So hopefully this, uh, this episode helped you shift your mind frame to think of yourself not just as an author, but as an entrepreneur. And if there's uh, any questions that anybody has, we could do our best, but please drop them in the comments below. And uh, I think we'll just see everybody on the next episode. Thanks very much.